Hello. Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But we kick off today's episode with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're joining us just now on our Facebook live stream, today is Wednesday, January 27th. If you're joining us on the airwaves, it's now January 28th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Stash Butler. Hello. And Natalie So. Hello. Up next, we'll be telling you why the printed word is thriving here in Taiwan these days. Plus, a look inside Google's newest Taiwan office, and why a gigantic prehistoric stone trough is suddenly in the spotlight. All that coming up next. Please stick around. We seem to be having some sound issues, so we're going to start off with the prehistoric trough. Uh, this is the <laughs> yes. <laughs> sound issues mean trough. That's where we're going. It weighs 1,240 kilograms, um, and no one knows what it was used for. It's believed by archaeologists to have been brought down from the central mountain range and ended up on Taiwan's east coast, quite a long distance away. And um, all they know other than that is that it's made of quartz and mica, uh, where they found it, that it belongs to what they call the Huagangshan culture, and that's it. Wow, it's a um, mysterious trough. A mysterious gigantic trough like a bathtub almost how do we have dimensions for this trough like how big a you know could you take a bath in it or uh, 1240 kilograms it's quite a bit 1240 um, kilograms it's one of 800,000 artifacts that have been given a brand new home and the reason uh, for this is that uh, they've opened the Hualien Archaeological Museum it's the latest museum to join uh, Taiwan's family of museums um, and We have a lot of sound issues today. <laughs> uh, pardon the sound effects. Um, yes, uh, it's considered the pride of the museum alongside a jade burial pendant. Um, Eastern Taiwan is a very interesting place for archaeology nerds like myself. Uh, we already have the National Museum of Archaeology in Taidong. I don't know if you've ever been down I don't there think before. I have. It's. I mean, I think I, I saw it. It was one of my kind of stops to... To go and visit when I was cycling around the island, but I don't think I ever made it. Never managed. It, that's, it, is that what 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 kind of people are is Taidong area? You were saying that this trough so, belongs to a certain. They think it belongs to a certain culture. Yeah, they've divided them very neatly into cultures, and it's hard to tell because they're very minute differences to the untrained eye. Between yeah, them, like oh, this trough has this shape. I've always I've always <laughs> admired it. I remember you know you kind of I've watched these sort of you know the TV programs where they pick up sort of little shards of pottery or something, and they go ah yes ah. This is from the year kind of 428 yeah. to 423. Well, the, uh, carbon dating is one thing, but I think being able to tell from a very 
tiny details. Oh no, this is a much earlier period that we're talking about here. Yeah. Anyway, this is in Hualien, which is another area on Taiwan's east coast, and it's known for prehistoric jade working. Um, this is a jade burial pendant, a thousand-year-old jade burial pendant, which is the other star collection in the museum's uh, sort of uh, ensemble there. And uh, it's actually inspired a really interesting logo uh, right. that uh, intertwines the pendant with an archaeological pit to represent continuing dialogue between the past and present. One of those artsy things. Uh, yeah. Uh, you don't sound too impressed by okay. the <laughs> one of those <laughs> artsy things. Yeah. <laughs> um, exhibitions are going to focus on the 3,500-year-old Jain culture of eastern Taiwan. Uh, and so there's probably all sorts of, I mean, there's 800,000 different objects to look at. Wow, so, eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand artifacts. Wow. So how do um, they, they? I mean, I guess they must. It must be kind of like those big museums. Where they rotate it. They can't fit all of those. I don't in imagine, one. and especially given the size of the venue, this is an old converted market that they've uh, built into a museum using a two point five four million U.S. dollar grant from the Ministry of Culture. Wow. Um, an old market. So that doesn't sound like a very big, especially in a place no. like Qualian, which is rather rural. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose they've got the kind of space to expand out into, I guess, um, now. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of odd that a trough of unknown origin and purpose is the main <laughs> attraction. Yeah, like, well, like I, mean, I wonder what the display says. Like, ah, trough. trough. Use unknown. Yeah, use unknown. <laughs> Date, you know, estimated. Uh, here it is. You know, you can kind of interpret it as you will. Yeah, it's like abstract art. Uh, it is cool. Like Eastern Taiwan does have some like sa- standing stones, yeah, I, I, not quite Stonehenge caliber, but you know, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, Stonehenge. Uh, Great stuff. So uh, yeah, I think they're going to highlight all that there. It's in Hualien, the Hualien Archaeological Museum, and it opened to the public just on Sunday. So this is a uh, brand new stuff. That is Do you exciting. want to hear like who's been saying hello to us? Okay, if yeah. they can well, hear us, we're yes, happy to make They're finally uh, very happy that they can finally hear us. Thank you for staying with us, especially um, through all the background noise. Yes, we're still uh, figuring out some of the tech problems, but we got it figured out thanks to Leslie. Um, Sri Mazraya says it's okay now, and. Uh, also, Jen Delari says hello. Radha Krishna Pillai says hello. And Ivan Dai um, is tuning in. Leslie Hua Bu Lin is tuning in. And that's about it. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, keep on uh, letting us know who you are, and we'd and love to hear from you. Really want to find out the show. more about our the, our mysterious prehistoric trough. You can always tune in tomorrow when this show will go out on the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, COVID nineteen has put a damper on pretty much everything for almost I guess more than a year now. And yeah. the latest thing to fall victim to COVID nineteen is our annual Taipei International Book Fair, which I was really looking forward to. Yeah. Really? I, go, so I used you, to go every year. But really? What do you do there? Yeah, what does you one buy do books at a book fair? Or, yeah, do you buy them? yeah, you can buy oh my goodness. My bank account takes such a hit every time this year. It was I think it was pretty much scrapped last year. There was some online activities, but I I can't like you can't touch online. So I'm not an ebook person either. So. No, I'm 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 with you there. I mean like obviously I will read an ebook if if need be, but like I'm very much if I can get a physical copy my, then. Really? My phone has such bad battery life. It's just there's no point. Oh, I oh. yeah, I have like a Kindle, so I So do I. Yeah. I that's all I do is read Kindle. Really? Strains my right. eyes. It is a, it is kind of a lot more convenient in some ways, but So it's I mean it's so much fun and in previous years it's been a very international event. So you can see even though I don't understand say Hungarian They'll have a Hungarian booth, for instance, mm. and you can see what Hungarian children's books look like. And it's just kind of a, a neat way to see the world of 
books wow. in yeah. one place. It's really, I don't know. I'm really disappointed. However, uh, we are pushing on and uh, the event will go online. And even the president herself is encouraging reading these days. That's right. Well, you know, if you want to check it out, it's called the Taipei International Book Exhibition. So there's going to be a YouTube channel, Facebook page. All that is already up. And President Tsai, um, she launched a book reading campaign um, at the opening ceremony on Tuesday. And she shared her reading list. She's trying to encourage people to read, which is always a great thing to do. Yeah. And to support the local publishing industry. Her reading list for the coming Lunar New Year holiday um, includes 14 books. The Courage of the Kurds, Taiwan Breakfast Map, A Diary of the Sea, The Price of Democracy, Artist's Day Kitchen. The Kurds, meaning the people group, the Kurds, or Kurds with a C? Like I think Kurds with, with a K. K. Okay. Yeah. Just making sh- the courage sure of the Kurds. Oh. <laughs> I it was a dairy yeah. book. World Views, the, original, the, ridge, the Origin and Journey of the Montane Plants in Taiwan. She has a varied reading list. Really? By, like, I think she's biology. also into cooking as well. She does some cooking. Oh, really? And um, so anyways, those are some of the books she's going to be getting into uh, in the coming month. And How does she find the time? She's the president. I don't know. She probably yeah. skimmed through them, right? Mm. Or, I, or maybe I it's know. just some, some publicist sort of writing it for her. <laughs> maybe someone will so read them for her. Yeah, and tell them I know. I know. <laughs> maybe, she has, maybe she has like Audible, so she can yeah, like. Yeah, or like you know, that's I, possible. I'm getting loads of adverts now for the these kind of apps and stuff, which um, which like offer they're like, oh, you know, can't too tired to read a book. How about you get a 15 minute summary? And we'll give you like a 15-minute summary of the book, essentially. Oh. And I don't know what I did to deserve that advert, but I'm, I'm very, I'm very, you know. Are you tempted? I'm not tempted. I'm, I'm offended, actually. Um, <laughs> it's not the same. Because they're going to summarize maybe what you don't think are the most important parts. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, and I, I suppose it probably only applies to like nonfiction as well. I don't see how you would. I mean, I suppose you, you could summarize. Yeah. That'd be weird. <laughs> That'd be so, so weird. So she gets married at the end. Yeah, right? and then it's a happy ending. and It's great. <laughs> So, um, so long also, story short, yeah. <laughs> there's also some exhibits that you can attend virtually. So such as there are going to be f- over 50 illustrations by the um, Italian author, inspired by the stories of Italian author Gianni Roderi, so who's famous for his children's literature. And um, the country of the year is going to be South Korea. Yeah, it just isn't the same, though, because I remember the last time it was held physically was like two years ago now, I guess. And the, the country of the year that year was Israel. And they had a little mini market as well. And you could see all kinds oh, of goods that you would normally never be able to get here. Oh, yeah. And they had like a klezmer band. Online. You yeah. can't eat any Korean food online, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just uh, sad. I, my favorite one was there's this one person who comes every year who sells these really tiny books. Like you need a magnifying glass. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then there's also like there's just so much fascinating stuff that goes on there. I I can go more than one day when, and spend a whole. Where do they normally hold it? Is it kind in of the Taipei uh, convention, the World Trade Center? Oh, OK. So, right. So convention center. Yeah, 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 yeah. What kind of books do you like to read? Just all kinds. All and kinds. I, it's fun to even just browse and see because you never know what's going to be there. Mm. You know? um, it's just different people come every year. Ah, it's a, uh, it's disappointing. But it's good to know that, you know, we're still having it. It's still it. going on, just it's online. Just so online. at least our um, viewers can check so, it out. How does that work? I mean, to. I'm just struggling to see how, how does a fair like that work yeah, online? They did it last year and I just didn't. It wasn't satisfying. Well, it's not the same, yeah. but it's still available. I'm going to put the link. Okay. Okay. Their Facebook page for everyone to see in uh, the notes in our yeah. uh, stream here. 
Yeah, it's a um, well, you know, we have a we have it, so that there's that. <laughs> Google has opened a new office, an enormous new office here in Taiwan, and uh, I'm sure after they hear about it, uh, people, workers all over Taiwan are just going to be quitting their jobs on mass and trying to get into Google. It's probably <laughs> yeah, just too maybe, much. Maybe, maybe, yeah, like get the job first before you quit. I think <laughs> would be my I advice. Should, I, should, I should get into computer science. Yeah, I mean, now's the time. Like a really, well, they have an all-you-can-eat buffet. I don't know if that you get to get that free or not that sounds kind of fun they also have a massage room okay so i was into the amenities and john thought that was not interesting at all and you took it <laughs> out of my news i think there's a there's a time and a place <laughs> yeah. i think now is that time and place okay. yes that's well, exactly I'll tell you right about the amenities and then we'll get to the maybe the more important part like yeah. what they're doing there what do they have um so they also have free counseling services okay which is very expensive you Would know you, not i mean like mental health counseling yeah mental health In Taiwan, counseling not really it's covered by the national health insurance well, um, it depends. There are places over... that are private and places mm. that are public. And um, also, they... And is that a, the implication that if you work there, you need it? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <Is that kind laughs> of like... no, I would say everyone that could use something about the office counseling culture. here and there. How to no. relieve stress, how to deal with mm. whatever family issues you may have. Okay. So, um, and there's also a health club there. Um there's going to be a, co- a great coffee shop with baristas, You're about massage, drinks, massage, massage parlor, a place Ooh. where you can take naps, and a game room. Just, it's it's also designed very beautifully. When are they going to have time to like do search engine stuff? So, or... but what they're doing is actually they're not doing search engine stuff. This yeah, is the me replying biggest. to our searches. You know, yeah. this is the um, this is really exciting. It is the biggest overseas, you know, not in the U.S. Um, R&D center for hardware. So they're going to be developing a lot of really important hardware there at this office. Here's a little picture of the lobby of the office. Big uh, G over there. You can zoom there. on the camera. Let me give, it, oh. give me that and I can... Right. Yeah, it's, so a, it's got a nice it's big really G. Um, so it's got you can a massage check parlor, out our website. a big G, a buffet. A <laughs> all, all the best things. <laughs> all everything. Um, it has 16 floors. It's... It's, um, what else is there? Uh, okay, so what they're gonna do is it's, they're doing a lot of a, uh, R&D for important hardware that they're working on. So, um, and they're also planning to hire hundreds of new people. Right now, Google has been growing exponentially in Taiwan for the past five years. They've uh, increased the number of employees by 10 times. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so they have about 2,000 employees. They have about six offices. And I think what's really exciting for us in Taiwan is that it shows that we're becoming, we already are a major uh, tech hub, but also for R&D, not just for uh, OEM making things, like mm. making all the iPhones of the world or, or the computers. We're also doing very important research, you know, cutting edge research on the hardware as well. So that's what this place is going to be. It's going to be, you know, uh, they named some of the projects they're going to be working mm. on, such as Pixel mobile phone Google i actually Nest. i actually have a pixel mobile phone really what so, is yeah. it like it's great the camera's amazing i mean i um uh you know my friend likes taking lots of photos of food um and What's i've recently really been like oh i'll take like them every taiwanese person yeah ever. yeah yeah, That's I mean, not very yeah descriptive. um but um but i'm i'm now being chi- you know I'm, I'm now chief photographer because oh. my, my well you should do that for us too then yeah you're, you're the right. best phone among mm. us then huh? possibly i don't know we'll have to test so um also chromebook notebooks uh wearable devices Google Nest, they're going to be doing a lot of, you know, important 
cutting edge research and development. And they said the Taiwan team is going to be like leading and playing a very important role in all of these projects. So, so from Taiwan to your pocket. And you know what's also cool is that they're planning to try to uh, hire more women and people who mm. are underprivileged. So they're trying to reach out to people of all sectors of societies. Also, of course, we have a lot of students who are studying and mm. computer science and the like. So they'll be reaching out to universities throughout Taiwan. It's a great time to come to Taiwan if you want to come and work in the tech industry. Well, not, not now. I mean, you're going to have to quarantine and stuff. But yeah, well, <laughs> eventually. You can figure it out. John is very nervous about germs. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that they can invent a phone that doesn't catch fire because that's what happened to my last phone really what? are you serious <laughs> yes. it caught fire oh my god yeah was it near a, a fire a different no. fire or it was spontaneously kind of it was uh, i think a bad cable oh my oh. god and i was that's in an airport terrible. too it you it, it about, caught fire in an airport uh, well, i was about to take a flight i was i had 10 minutes to buy a new phone do you remember when that when <sighs> they like there were those samsung tablets that were yeah. like exploding well, it wasn't the samsung i think it, again it was probably a problem with faulty cable and it was right. an off-brand cable so i don't get to sue them or anything yeah oh, you sad. know what someone else has a pixel 4 jen delari and she says that camera is amazing it is a great camera i can and confirm she also loves kindle uh, she uses it only for like recipes and portable you know uh, information mm, like mm, that. Mm, 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 mm. but um yeah it's great that google is ex expanding here yeah, yeah. so um and uh, very exciting yeah i mean i want to visit and just go see the kitchen is that a, is do tours yeah, I want to look like around. To, it's like going like to, to Versailles. Go do, do we have a sleeping room? Because yeah. it seems like everyone has a sleeping room now. Would you oh, like to watch oh, a special report from Google in, in Taiwan? If you do, yeah, tell me where you want know. me to go we actually, in the company, and so, I will request that. A little aside here for Stash's <laughs> enlightenment. We have rooms that people have turned into sleeping rooms. Because I, I was going to say that because I went upstairs. I went upstairs and I heard some very loud snoring. The library. The library. There's a room. There's these audiovisual rooms that no one uses, and they've been Taken oh, over. Yeah. I've been in those. And I was working in one for a quiet People place to work. Yes. Yeah, there's someone snoring uh, and, and quite loudly. Very, one time I, I needed just a quiet space to work for a while and I went in there and someone was really indignant. Like I was in their sleeping spot. Like it's their designated sleeping yeah. spot. I was like, who? When oh, there's like three rooms. You right? ruined their nap. And they're yeah. very small, kind of like yeah. two seaters. So. Right? It's not like a big couch or anything. We definitely don't have a massage parlor though. No. We don't no. have that. We or have a, a small library and we have coffee. That we need to pay that for. That you have to pay for. It's not like... Right. I just wonder, like, with these big tech companies with all these amenities, and I think Facebook's like that too, like, how does anyone get anything done? Because I would just always be like, my important research for today is which of these buffet items tastes better? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think they want you to be well-fed, energized, well-rested, um, and, you know, not stressed out. And that's where you can be your best you and, and contribute the most. I think that really makes sense. Okay. And they attract a lot of people too, a lot well, of high talent. Well, that's true, but that's also because it probably pays very well and it's prestigious, so. All of that, I think, you know. So I think it's a, it's a good design. I think more companies in Taiwan should learn from Yeah, Google. no, we should say that this is definitely not a typical work environment. No, <laughs> no. Not the imagination in Taiwan. So that's what's exciting about it. Hopefully, more companies will emulate Google and, and provide these perks for their Oh, that's the thing I care about, the amenities. amenities. <laughs> but I think that we're doing great in contributing to all this uh, technology that's going um, out in our devices. We'll see it in a you know, pocket near you soon. We'll talk about making the best out of a bad situation. Uh, this is a story about British national Peter Lowe, who it says here is stuck in Taiwan because of COVID-19 travel curbs. 
And uh, I think it's very, been very nice, although I'm not sure what else they could have done, but our government has continually renewed the visas of people who can't leave. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of every month. And so it's, it's just uh, automatically extended. Yeah. Which, I mean... I get what are they going to do? Deport them? It's yeah, not really... I just, I just feel, I feel real sympathy for. There's mm. probably like maybe one or two people whose visa runs out, maybe let's say the middle of the month, and every month they're just there on tenterhooks, not knowing whether or not they're going to get deported because until... they can't leave. There's yeah, no, the flights have been. I don't know if they're regular or not. Um, so he decided um, to do something meaningful, and this is very meaningful. I think is clean up Taipei's rivers. Oh, wow. We're near one here. And oh boy, during the summer, does it smell? Mm. Um, so uh, he's a boat fanatic. It says here. And so he wanted to get out on the water. I guess he's stuck here with nothing else to do. So he purchased a boat and he spent hours going near the Danshui areas, uh, mangrove swamps. They've actually got a, a, a sort of a park area that they've set aside to preserve it. It's very nice. Um, and there's like little wooden walkways you can explore the mangroves. Wow. Um, and but he realized that there's a lot of trash in that river. And uh, having looked a bit closer, he said that uh, there was you know garbage on the mangrove plants. Uh, and it, when it's, he says we noticed, he says that a, a member of a local boating community says, well, we knew there was a problem, but when it's sort of all spread out in the river, it doesn't seem so obvious. However, uh, this guy was saddened by uh, seeing the effect all this garbage was having on wildlife. Mm. And he organized a cleanup and local volunteers joined him to clean up our mangrove forests and prevent the trash from floating out to sea, which would hurt the environment even worse. And uh, I interviewed the people who run the mangrove park near there. And these are very humble but surprisingly important uh, wildlife areas. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. They filter water. They help prevent the worst of typhoons from hitting people. Um, and there's all sorts of... If you, you have to look very closely to see them, but there's a lot of like little mini crabs scuttling around. Mm, I bet because, yeah, it's kind of like land and sea kind it's of, sort of one river, I guess. a whole ecosystem yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he says that authorities took note of the campaign and they're actually helping too. And he says, my advice for people who are stuck in the same situation as me is to do something positive, to do something meaningful, particularly towards saving and protecting the earth, really. So, that's wow, great what yeah. he's doing. I mean, I mean, that's I mean, you could just sit around fretting, but uh, he decided to do something productive instead. Uh, I know that there's a lot of beach cleanups in Taiwan. This yeah, is the I was going to say, yeah, this is, this is, it's normally, it's the beach, the beach cleanups you hear about. So. Um, there is uh, an awful lot of plastic garbage, plastic especially, floating around uh, towards the end of the Danshui River. Um, and there are, all of its sort of tributaries too can get, uh, I mean, we're right one near one ourselves. Yeah. It's the Keelung River. Mm. And there's it's usually not that polluted, but there's a massive die-off of fish almost every summer. Oh, dear. And you can smell it from a long way away. Oh, God. Uh, I think it's something to do with oxi- not enough oxygen. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll smell it. You'll have your turn. When I, I look forward to it. It's a very... Uh, it's a sign of summer, unfortunately. So I think, uh, yeah, we do need to pay attention to the health of our urban rivers. Is anyone joining us? Yes. So uh, Jen Delari says it could be a rough job. Mm. And Rashid Nas says, good looks, everyone. Wow. Muhammad Salim Akhtar says, good morning. Rashid Nas says, good day and good show. 
And Jen Delaro says, my last job had a quiet room. I think she was referring to our conversation about Google, mm-hmm. which you could rooms. use for calming down after a bad call or even <laughs> sleep in. Wow. Oh, that sounds pretty good. What was your job? That's oh, amazing. Sounds great. They even had a fully stocked kitchen with some ingredients so you can make sandwiches or quick fries. Oh. The idea was that we can rest up while still at work and get back on the job quickly instead of fleeing the workplace and coming back. I think that, you know, our mental health, like even just dealing with the stress of your everyday job is important, right? Mm. So I think if there's little, you know, spaces to kind of uh, de-stress ourselves and get in better order. It's we need better. more beanbags. That's what we need. Beanbags. Yeah. Beanbags. Why don't we have beanbags? We should suggest that at our next meeting. Yeah. Beanbags for all. Yes. That's our policy. I don't think a massage Stock, is gonna uh, is gonna fly here. But yeah. Possibly not. Free free tea and coffee would be nice. That's true. <laughs> wow. We need to start like a union or something. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> all right. It's time. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm, I'm Stash Butler. And I'm Natalie So. Don't go anywhere just yet, because up next it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, I have a special program for you because I'm not going to be talking about a story that's exclusively Taiwanese. In fact, I'm going to be talking about a story that got a lot of attention on Taiwanese social media. Now, this story actually involves South Korea and China. Now, what happened was the two sides disagreed over the origins of a food item. How did they get into this discussion? Well, it all stems from a popular South Korean YouTuber named Hamzi. Hamzi is what they call a mukbanger, which means she eats on camera for a living. That's exactly what it sounds like. Hamzi's show focuses on her eating copious amounts of food, and she pulls enough viewers that YouTube cuts her a substantial check every month for the ad revenue she makes for the website. But this week, Hamzi got in trouble with her Chinese fans because she called a food item a certain name that the Chinese fans didn't like. The story isn't as straightforward as some of you might think. There's a lot of back and forth, and we're going to get into it in this week's episode, which is starting in 3, 2, 1. This is Hamzi. She's a South Korean mukbanger. That just means she's a YouTuber who eats on camera for a living. I know, I know. Some people have all the luck. But you might not envy Hamzi so much after today's story because she's at the heart of a spat between Korean and Chinese netizens. What are the two groups fighting about? Vegetables. Well, more specifically, fermented vegetables. On January 15th, Hamzi uploaded a video of herself eating what she called white kimchi. Kimchi, of course, is Korea's national dish, which is spicy pickled vegetables. Chinese netizens didn't like the designation white kimchi because to them it looked like Hamzi was eating Chinese fermented cabbage. They thought that by labeling the food white kimchi, Hamzi was asserting that fermented cabbage is South Korean. At this point, Hamzi laid low until the outrage died out, is what I would say if that's what happened. Instead, online users from China and South Korea got into it in the comments section. 
Some keen-eyed users pointed out that Hamzi placed hearts on anti-Chinese comments. By placing hearts on the message, Hamzi not only confirms that she saw the message, but she also approves of it as well. Hamzi issued an apology on the Chinese social media site Weibo, even bowing as a show of sincerity. Oh, Hamzi, don't you know that when you side with one group, you alienate the other? South Korean users on YouTube went, WHAT?! Hamzi then went back to YouTube to do damage control, saying that her Chinese management agency is the one that told her to apologize. In the end, the company that represents Hamzi in China dropped her. Talk about a classic case of trying to have your kimchi and eat it too. In Taiwan, people commented on how overly sensitive Chinese netizens were. Huang Zixuan says, I have never seen Chinese netizens accept any apology from a celebrity. Celebrities might as well take a hard stance from the start. That'd make for a better show. I'm Talking Turkey said, The worst part is she couldn't win over either side. One said she betrayed Korea, the other said her apology was insincere. It's definitely a lose-lose situation for Hamzi for sure. This whole ordeal had Zi Yin Lai questioning his understanding of the world when he asked, So wait, kimchi isn't Korean? To which Crystal Lin reminded him, anything called kimchi is Korean. Here's a cheeky meme posted in response to the story. It says, Optimists will say the glass is half full. Pessimists will say it's half empty. Chinese netizens will say it's an insult to China. I think you can't deny that anything called kimchi is Korean. But if you call it pao cai, which is what we call it here in Taiwan, then I agree with Fin Lu who says pao cai is from Taiwan. It goes great with a plate of fried stinky tofu fresh out the fryer, and don't you forget it. And that was this week's episode of Hashtag Taiwan. You know what? Since you're at it, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you think? Is kimchi Korean or Chinese? Let me know. Go ahead and get in contact with me at Taiwan Insider over on Facebook or Radio Taiwan International, also on Facebook. You can also find me at the Radio Taiwan International YouTube channel, which is RTI English. Anyway, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. We had a long period of no local transmissions between mid-April and late December, when an airplane pilot infected his female companion. And that brings us all the way up until this month. So here's what you need to know about the cluster infection at the hospital in northern Taiwan. This is Taoyuan General Hospital, located about an hour outside of Taipei, near Taiwan's largest international airport. Many workers, as you can see, are in full PPE. It looks pretty empty because they've closed down some of the wards and are no longer admitting new patients or allowing visitors. So how did the cluster infection begin? It all began with patient 812. A Taiwanese man in his 60s who returned to Taiwan from the U.S. in late December. He was diagnosed with COVID-19 on January 3rd. On January 12th, a doctor at the same hospital was confirmed to have COVID-19. It's thought that he got it while intubating that patient. On the same day, a nurse who lives with the doctor was also confirmed. 
Now, the doctor is also thought to have infected another nurse and doctor at the hospital, who then infected a Vietnamese caregiver and two more medical workers. So far, three family members of medical workers have been infected. So, what's going to happen following this outbreak? Well, on Thursday, Health Minister Chen Shizong said that there would not be a lockdown. However, he is calling for the cancellation of all large-scale public events. And many of them have to do with the Chinese Lunar New Year, such as the popular Dihua Market and also the Lantern Festival, which is canceled for the first time. Let's take a look. A dazzling array of lights on slender stalks of bamboo. The main display at Taiwan's 2021 Lantern Festival is quite a sight, but would-be visitors will have to wait. Authorities have cancelled February's event after Taiwan saw four new domestic cases on Tuesday. Transport Minister Lin Jialong is reassuring artists their hard work won't be for nothing. He says there will be future opportunities to display their craft work, but the event in Xinzhou cannot take place as planned. Meanwhile, restaurants and hotels hoping to profit from the flood of visitors have been left to count the cost. Hotel PR manager Rose says they're already feeling the effect. She says as soon as the event was cancelled, customers began calling to cancel reservations. But on the bright side, without traffic controls in place, hotels near the festival grounds are seeing a bump in reservations for the Lunar New Year. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Well, welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and my guest today in the studio is James Hu, H U Hu, uh, founder and CEO of Job Scan, which is J O B S C A N. So you can tell it has to do with jobs, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking for jobs. Anyway, let's welcome James first. Hi, James. Hi, Shirley, and everyone. Right. Do you usually go with James or Jim or whatever? Oh, James. James. Okay, yeah. <laughs> great. So, um, yeah, I think you need to start right off. Explain what is Job Scan. Yeah. So Job Scan is a web service. Uh, it's a website basically uh, that helps people optimize their resumes. To get more interviews, so we use a little bit of AI and and a little bit of intelligence to figure out what you need to change on your resume in order to get found by recruiters. Oh, okay. Um, you know, when I heard about this, I was thinking, well, every now and then I would get like these emails from LinkedIn, and I don't use it often, by the way. But um, one time when I was thinking about maybe changing my job, like leave this radio station, mm-hmm. I saw that I was going. Like, Wait a minute! Do they even know how old I am? Do they even know what I've, you know, what my background is? Why are they telling me that you know there's a job opening for you? And then I was told because they use big data, mm-hmm. and so it's like a play on some of the keywords, right? Yes. So how are you different from LinkedIn? <laughs> Yeah, so LinkedIn is more of a social network. So think of LinkedIn as Facebook, right? And we're different in that we are a tool that helps you stand out on LinkedIn, okay. or helps you stand out. Well, stand out on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. So, so like you mentioned earlier, right? Let's it's, you're on you're on point where a lot of websites then need to do optimizations on their websites to, in order to rank in Google. 
right? It's called search engine optimization, right? SEO. So you have to do all these things to optimize your website to, to get found, right? To yeah. rank, rank on top. Same thing for resumes. You need to do certain optimizations and change and add keywords and add specific skill sets and to be able to rank higher when recruiters conduct a search. So for example, even in, on LinkedIn, recruiters use LinkedIn a lot. If you talk, especially international companies. Yeah. And all majority, 90% to 100% of them go on LinkedIn to find talent, mm -hmm. especially in the US, right? And they, what they do is they search for keywords, right? They would search for keywords to find talent. And if you don't have those keywords on your profile or your resume, then you're not found. You, know, you, don't, you don't show up. Really? Just like that? Yeah. So it's very much like Googling, right? They're Googling for people and you need to have the right things that they're searching for. Right. So I just realized that let's say there's a job opening from a certain company and 2,000 people applied. Mm -hmm. They're not going to look through each 2,000 applications. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It just made a re revelation here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had no idea. I thought they would really nicely look through 2,000 and pick out the ones they wanted. Some will, actually. Some recruiters actually spend the time and look through each resume. And a lot of recruiters, some recruiters will tell you that they will actually look through resumes. But some some won't, right? Especially big companies, popular places, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. They get <laughs> hundreds, hundreds not thousands, thousands of applications. Okay, so I get it now. Yeah. That's where job scan comes in. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. And even even if they don't use a system to do a search, you still need to optimize. You still need to tailor your resume because even from a recruiter, from a human perspective, they're still looking for keywords, right? You're looking for you're hiring, you're hiring someone, you're scanning for their relevant companies, you're scanning for the relevant skill sets and experiences. So that still matters to a human eyes. What do you know about recruiters? What are, what do they usually look for? And how does job scan work? I mean, what's the first step, the second step, and the third step? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to go about it. Because, I mean, I'm, of course, I've written re resumes for myself. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've, of, co of course, studied, you know, certain formats on Google or whatever. Um, well, this goes way back, you know, mm -hmm. the last time I had, you know, looked for a job. Um, and I have my own style of, you know, uh, of writing my CV, um, this like goes way back, and you know, highlighting. I'm sure that resume writing is a lot better than back in those days, where you just highlight certain, you know, like maybe the job title or whatever, um, past jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, are you saying that in order for me to be noticed when I apply for a new job, I've got to change my way of writing the resume, which is not not what I'm comfortable with. I've got to do something. That's like not me. Well, not necessarily. So, so you have the main version of your resume, right? You have okay. the master version. Oh, I can keep that. Right. And, and you just need to tailor small bits and pieces within that resume to make sure you're saying the right keywords. Oh, so yeah, we are talking about keywords. Yeah. So you need to tailor yeah. your resume for every job you're applying to. You shouldn't be using the same resume applying to 10 jobs. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you can, but you're less likely to be found because you won't come across as relevant unless your re your resume is very relevant to all of these jobs. Oh, okay. When I was applying to jobs, I was tailoring every single one of them before I would send them out by hand. Yeah. Right, manually. Uh -huh. So I would read through the job descriptions and say, okay, you know, th sometimes they have the requirement required section, right? We require 10 years experience from 
you know, on digital marketing and paid ads, for example. So right. I would put, you know, paid ads, digital marketing into my resume if I don't have it, right? So I would tailor that for every job I'm applying to. Mm-hmm. And then and I realized, why isn't there a tool that does this for me automatically, right? And that's when I thought, hey, I can build something like that that compares my resume against a, the job description and tell me what's missing and what's matching wow. in terms of the keywords. You, you wrote a program, right? a software. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's a website. It's the website. Yes. It, it's a website. Yes. You, you can tell. It's, I'm it's, not a computer science. It's similar. <laughs> it's similar. Just background. To, okay. Yeah. So it would do that for you. And then sort of like a word file where it picks out the mistakes mm-hmm. and you decide to correct it or not. Is it the same kind of Yeah. Idea? So imagine, imagine the website. There's two text boxes. You paste in a resume, you paste in your resume into one box, and you paste in the job description of your choice into the second box. Oh. And then you click scan, and that's it. Then we do the magic, and we tell you what hard skills are missing, what soft skills are missing and or matching, whether your job titles match, whether your education level match, whether your job level match, uh-huh. and whether you have enough mentions of measurable results. So we tell you all these things and we tell you whether your resume formatting looks good. So we'll give you all these feedback. Wow. Just from copy and pasting or just upload your resume. Okay. It takes takes two seconds. Yeah. Sounds like AI. It is AI. AI is part of it. Yes. So then um, it helps you change your resume to, to a more desirable format or? Not yet. Uh, actually part of it does so we actually will automatically adjust your formatting a bit Mm -hmm. Uh, but right now we give you a report so majority of it you still do it yourself but in the future we're working on automatically replacing certain things for you save you more time maybe even write the resume for you yeah maybe (laughs) so the vision right like our ultimate vision is is you know job searching is very painful right It's, it's it's emotional you know, you don't hear back. You, you spend so much time applying and then you don't hear back. And it's very demotivating for a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, I've gone through it many times myself and I don't <laughs> enjoy it. Right. I don't think anybody does. But, you know, I did it for fun. I did it for, you know, I, I definitely got a good hang of it in the past. And, you know, our goal ultimately is that we become the the Alexa. I'm sure your audience probably knows about Alexa, the, you know, the, the, the voice enabled AI that, gives you that helps you out with your life basically and not mm. from amazon right and anyway we, we the ideal world is that we when you look for a job you give us your resume we will look for the right jobs for you we'll update it for you we'll tailor it for you and we'll apply for you and all you got to do is sit back watch netflix and wait for phone calls <laughs> no you're talking about the future yeah job the future scan. yes that's our <laughs> ultimate vision yeah that would be great you're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now I'm just wondering, were you having a lot of frustration looking for jobs? That's why you came up with JobScan? Yeah, yes. I mean, after my first company didn't work out, I was job searching and I was right, applying. Right, you started a company, yeah. I was applying to all the big big names, you, you name it, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, some startups, even Uber and Lyft and all these companies. And, you know, I've had my sure number of rejections 
And of course, I tried to find the best job I could find, and and I was definitely spending more than full time hours on job searching. This was right after graduation. Uh, well, I mean, I've had a couple of、uh, misfortunes, I guess. I, I was, I was, I, when I graduated, I got into Microsoft. I was, you know, very proud of myself, best、yeah. job ever、yeah. for my, you know, at that time. But I got laid off during the financial crisis in 2010. Oh, okay. After 2008, right? Yeah, and so that was because my... I thought you were going to say 2008, but you said 2010. But yeah, there's, a,、okay. there's a delay of some companies、yeah. laying off, right? <laughs> so Microsoft laid、God. off like 5,000 people at that time, and I was one of them.、Oh. And I was like, you know, I was back on the job search market,、yeah. and so that was my, you know, first misfortune.、Mm. And then the second one was my my second company. Well, my first company, first company failed. Company. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Talk about your first company.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I was. In the states at the time in Seattle, and my I was finishing up my contract at Microsoft, and、mm-hmm. and my one of my, the smartest friends I knew at the time, he said, "Hey, I realized there's a pollution and traffic problem in China. I think we can do something about it."、Ah. <laughs> Sounds like a very big problem to yeah. solve. Yeah, and the idea was to to share cars. Right, there's so many cars out there. Why are people but driving it? You know, like there's cars sitting idle. Why don't why can't people just rent idle cars? I was a more technical guy. He was a finance guy. So I built the prototype、um, from just googling online and built a basic website out of it. And then my other friend at the time said, "Hey,、uh, Groupon China needs a product person to lead the product team," and was asked me if I was interested. So two of the smartest friends I knew at the time wanted me to go to go to China and go to Beijing, and I said, "Okay, let's go." <laughs> so so the three of you went. Uh no, I went to Groupon first to join Groupon Beijing first, but、oh, okay. this, but part time I was still w- working with my other friend on my company, right? Off hours and、okay. nights and weekends.、Oh. So then I quit. You know, six months later, I quit Groupon and I was working on my company full time. Yeah, so that that company、uh, eventually became、uh, more of a carpooling app. Yeah. Kind of similar to Uber Pool or Didi. I、yeah. mean, you can get a car、In、if you、China. wanted to go somewhere.、Yes. The only difference is carpooling. You had to have somebody else go in the same direction at the same time. Right. So that was a car- kind of a problem. That's why it, it didn't work out. We、oh, should have we should have went after taxis <laughs> in the、oh, beginning. How how long did it survive though? The company.、Uh, two years. Two years. Hey, two years is not bad. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then,、yeah. from then on,、mm-hmm. you decide you're just gonna be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So. It didn't work out, you know. It was it was pretty rough towards the end, and I came back to Taiwan, took a break for three months. Of course, my dad said, my parents were like, "Stop messing around in China. Go back to Seattle. Go 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 find a job at Amazon. You know, they're 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 growing, so <laughs> go get a stable job." But I was like, "No, I I've met so many people in in Beijing already. I can find designers, engineers, investors. I can find anybody, and I, I could build a team up pretty fast." So I went back to Beijing and tried to figure out what to do next.、Uh-huh. I still wanted to start something. Yeah. At one point, I thought about building apps for cars. So I actually had a、meeting. you like cars? <laughs> yeah, we were in the, the kind of the car industry at the time, car technology、okay. at the time. So I actually had a meeting with you know the some someone higher up in the General Motors,、uh-huh. um, and even a Volkswagen、mm. and Car to Go, but you know nothing came to fruition. And I started learning how to code, learning how to build an iPhone app, and then、I、had an idea to do different. I had different ideas, I had a lot of ideas, and then I started job searching. 
at the same time too and that's yeah. when i when the idea of job scan came along uh-huh. so that i was like if i'm gonna find a job i want to showcase that i can build something because in tech if you can't code you're kind of disadvantaged a little bit yeah especially i wanted to be a pm a product manager if right. you're a product manager usually mm. big tech companies or silicon valley companies they want you to have a computer science degree yeah which i don't have you don't have i'm a, i'm a business major yeah and so i felt like i needed to prove myself to to build something and so i did so i the job scan was a project that i wanted to build okay with a business major how did he learn coding we're going to find out together next week for in the spotlight i'm shirley lin Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.